0: We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, if you'll open your Bibles there. First Peter chapter 3, I'm going to put the, the, the verse, we're, all, we're, going to, we're going to just focus on one verse today, verse 7, and I'm going to put it on the screen. Men, I want you with me to read this verse together, all right? It's on the screen, so we all read the same version, all right? So, uh, so you ready, men? All right, let's go. Husbands... Likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. Okay, guys, listen. This is participatory, all right? I want to hear you. So let's try that over again, okay? Every single guy here. All right, ready? Start from the top. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. You got it? All right, let's pray. No. all right. Husbands likewise, that word likewise is key. All right, let's, let's just focus in on that. If you've got your Bible, you might want to circle it nearby. Here's what you could write. You could write in the same way. That's what it means. It's the Greek word homeos, and it means in the same way. This is important. Here's what Peter's doing here in this section of his epistle, his letter. He's he's basically touching in this section on the the very touchy subject of submission, okay? And, And he has talked about submission to government. He's talked about submission to masters in our modern day context. We would equate that to submitting to your boss at work. He's talked about wives submitting to husbands, And so here, when he says husbands, likewise, what he's saying is, men, you got to submit too. See, we are people that, I don't care what your station in life is, male or female, uh, you know, business owner or the most entry-level employee, all of us have those that we have to submit to. And submit's a tricky word. Um, we were talking about this at our MOPS panel just the other day. We had our MOPS ministry, Mothers of Preschoolers, and we had all of our pastors there, and we were able to answer different questions that they had, and this issue of submission came up. Now, <clears throat> we so often hear of and talk about, wives, submit to your husbands, right? The Bible says, as unto the Lord. Don't you, guys, don't you just love that verse, Wives well, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Now, the word submit, the definition of it doesn't even begin to start until you disagree. A lot of people have a misconcept about this idea of submission. My idea of submission is, oh yeah, I totally believe in submission and, and all, and then that's great, uh, and, but, but I disagree with you. You know, and and I I'm having a conversation with a wife one day in counseling, and she she said, "Yeah, I totally completely understand the biblical concept of submission. I'm in agreement to it, the whole bit." But but she said, "But Pastor Ted, I disagree with him." I said, "Ding ding 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 ding." There, there, we're in the now we're in the area of submission, because up until that point, you're just doing what you want to do. You know, if I agree with you, then okay, great. There's no submission involved. So submission is when <clears throat> I'm faced with something that I don't necessarily agree with or that I don't want to do or whatever the case may be, now I have to submit to that scenario. Now, we're not talking about the wives needing biblically to submit to their husbands today. We'll leave that for another day. Um, but we're going to talk to you husbands. You also have to submit. Um, Romans 13.1, I'll throw it on the screen for you, says this, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And so he says, let every soul be subject. I mean, submission, that's the idea. And what God is saying here is that there is rank and, and order, and that everybody has to be subject to. To somebody. It's that old Bob Dylan song, you got to serve somebody, right? And so we all have to serve somebody. Men, that includes your position as the authority of a husband, all right? You are to submit to God. Now, throughout the New Testament, Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 14, 2 Corinthians 11, and here in 1 Peter 3, The scriptures reinforce the authority of the husband in the marriage. It's most clearly articulated in Ephesians 5.23. I'll put this scripture on the screen for you as well. Ephesians 5.23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Right? Now that position of being the head is important. And we're going to talk about that for a second. See, the Bible says that we assume that position as head of the wife by covenant agreement. A Covenant is is an interesting word. It's best described in the Old Testament by the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed. Here's what hesed is defined by. Hesed means loving kindness, mercy, steadfast love, loyal devotion. Uh, A loyal love. As the head of the covenant, the husband is to do these things, to to extend loving kindness, mercy, steadfast love, loyalty, and so on. He's to do these things for his wife's best interest, okay? He's not to do these things in a quid pro quo kind of relationship. You're not to be able to, oh, yeah, I, I'll be, you know, extend loving kindness and mercy and steadfast love so long as she's, she's you know, earns it. No, 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 that's not the idea. The idea is that you're going to motivate and, and operate <clears throat> from a, a place of, hey, I'm going, to, I'm going to operate in what's in her best interest. Ladies, how awesome would that be? If your husband continually operates, I see so many women are saying yes. If your husband was motivated and operated from the place that said, what's best for my wife? <clears throat> Men will just let that sink in for a second. <clears throat> um, that's covenant love. Covenant love is a love that says, look, I will never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. Covenant love is a love that says, you know what? You are not acting very lovable today, but that's not going to change my operating in your best interest. That's your responsibility as the head, husband. You have to operate in that way. And when you take a wife, that's the covenant that you enter into. Now, in every covenant that God initiates, he puts someone in charge of that covenant. Somebody has the responsibility to make sure that the covenant terms are kept and that the members within the covenant are cared for. And men, that's your responsibility. Ephesians 5.23, husband is the head of the wife. As also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Now this doesn't mean that the man is better than the woman. Doesn't mean that he's superior to the woman. Here's what it means. It means that God holds the man and the woman responsible each individually for their sin. Right, He holds you each responsible, but at the end of the day, he puts an additional burden on you husbands to make sure that the covenant terms are kept. So if you're here today and you're saying, my my marriage is a train wreck, guess who God's going to call on the carpet for that train wreck? You, men. He's going to call you on the carpet. I'll give you an example. For this church... I have the responsibility to to the, to be the head of this church. I'm the senior pastor, so so my responsibility is to make sure that this church operates in in a healthy way. Now now because I'm the head, I get to decide pretty much what it is we're going to do and how it is that we're going to do it. Our policies, our procedures, and so on. I pretty much get the the, the say in what we're going to do. But don't you know that I've got accountability? That that if if I don't do a good job of being the, the one who in this covenant makes sure that all the terms are 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 kept and, and 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 all, I'm the one that's going to get called on the carpet. See, I have to be submitted to the board and I have to be submitted to Jesus Christ. And if I don't faithfully execute my job as the head of this church to make sure that you're loved and that you're cared for, to make sure you're the most loved and the best-fed sheep that you can possibly be, if I don't do that, then I'm going to be looking for a new job. The board is going to hold me accountable. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is going to hold me accountable. Why? Well, because this church is His. This church is owned by Jesus Christ it's his church jesus said i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and so so that, that there's an an example where yeah i'm the head i have the responsibility but if i don't keep my responsibility god's going to call me on the carpet maybe you, you've heard of john maxwell he he he's a, a leadership uh, uh you know guru, whatever, that he's, he's a big leadership guy, he's got a book called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, and as he's talking uh, about this, these different pillars of leadership, he talks about what's called the law of the lid, and basically the law of the lid says this, that everybody has a certain lid level to their leadership capacity. Okay. And so some people have a really high lid. They have a high leadership acumen. Just a high leadership capability. And what happens then is as a high leadership, they have a a greater capacity to lead. They have people who themselves have varying levels of of their lid capacity on their leadership. And so his his ability to lead others uh, is is exponentially greater because he has lots of people who will come under him and will follow him because he's got good leadership. But there are people who have... A lower lid or a very low lid, these are people who, who aren't good leaders. And he tells the story in the book about a friend of his who, he, what his, his organization does, his company does, is they buy failing businesses. And, and it's kind of like, you know, you, you, you strip a car for parts. That's what they do. They buy a failing business, business, and then they strip it apart. They either rebuild the business, or they sell off chunks of it, depending on how big the business is. And, and he says, when they're rebuilding a business, there's one thing, universal truth, that they always do, and that is that they fire the leader. And he was shocked. He said, well, wait a minute. You, you always fire the leader? He said, absolutely, without exception. He said, well, what if he's a good leader? He goes, if he was a good leader, I wouldn't be buying his business. So so without exception, this is what they do. Now keep that in mind. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. And let's read a little account here about Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We read, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? This, by the way, is the cornerstone of everything that Satan does in his tempting of you and me. It always always involves him twisting and perverting the word of God. Questioning the word of God. Did God really say that, and so, so he just repackages that over and over and over again, that is alive and well in 2015, and so he says to her, did, you know, does God, did God really say this, and, and the woman, verse 2, said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die, and then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die? For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he lies to her. He wants to tempt her to sin. Verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Would you circle the, the, that little phrase, with her? Would you just circle that? See, there's an old Puritan proverb that says, While, when Adam was away, that Eve fell astray. Well, that's not True. What I just had you circle was the proof that Adam was with Eve when she was deceived and when she fell. See, men, sometimes we view sin in terms of commission. This is what I committed. This is what I did. I shouldn't have done that and I did that. A lot of times, that's the way we think about sin. But sin isn't just commission. It's also Omission, and that is the drama I want to beat on today, okay? Because the thing is, is that you can sin and be a sinner outside of the will of God based on what you have failed to do. That is your responsibility to do, and you have omitted it, and this is Adam's sin here. The man didn't stand up, he didn't man up, he didn't speak up, he didn't intervene. Right? He failed, listen, he failed to lead. He failed to lead. Now that's a big problem today. It's certainly a big problem in our nation, it's a big problem in our churches. That there are wholesale sections of, of the, the, the men in our country and the men in our churches that are failing to lead. And and this is not just a problem within the church. Now, I'm grateful, I'm so grateful that, that here at this church we have strong male leadership. And I, and, and we've got a, we, our women's ministry is brilliant and firing on our, all cylinders and they give us a run for our money. But we have men who are standing up and want to be counted and want to serve as leaders. And I'm so grateful for that. And I always want to make sure that, that we have that. Some churches don't operate that way. Some churches are completely run by women. And I'm not being chauvinistic. I'm just saying that men need to be the, the leaders of the church as God has, has intended. And women need to be also exercising their spiritual gifts and, and operating in every capacity that, that God invites them to. And, and my point is to say a lot of churches, the men are absent. It's the women doing everything to the men's shame. And it shouldn't be that way. But you know what? A lot of marriages are that way. A lot of marriages, and some of the marriages, listen, in this room, are operating in the way where where really the the, the men are not stepping up and leading. And, And the wife is the one who's leading the family. Some of you are just passively letting your wife fend for herself. Now, a question I would have you jot down, take a walk with this week, men, is this. What are you omitting in your marriage? Write it down. Seriously, pray about that. What are you omitting in your marriage from a leadership perspective? Some of you, you're like, I don't even need to write it down. I know it. I'm totally guilty of it. I'm I'm, I'm being convicted right now. See, in the garden, what was the result? The result was sin and separation. Right, they, they, they hid from one another and they hid from God. And that describes and defines some of the marriages in this room. That you're separated from one another. You're hiding things from one another. So in Genesis chapter, nine, or chapter 3 verse 9, if you'll skip down there, who does God go looking for? Well, he goes looking for the men. And then the Lord God called to Adam and he said... Where are you? Right? Where are you? This is the law of the lid. This is, hey, guess what? Your failing company just got bought, and the guy wants to talk to you. Hey, CEO, knock, knock. Who's there? Not you anymore, right? This is what's going on here. God says to the man, let's, where are you, buddy? What, you, you are absent right now. From duty, you're completely derelict in your duty. On this Mother's Day, I want to ask you, would God say that to you? Would God say to you, Where are you, man? Where where have you been? What have you been doing? You, you think it's okay that your wife's the one who's saying to you all the time, honey, come on, please, we got to go to church. Honey, come on, we got to get the kids ready. Honey, can we go to a Bible study? Baby, would, would you please pray for us? Hey, could you, could you lead the kids? Where are you? So back in 1 Peter, Peter says this in verse 7. He says, husbands likewise must be submitted to God. That's the idea. And then he says, dwell with them with understanding. Dwell with them in understanding. So the idea here is that the role of the head of the marriage covenant, men, is yours. And because it's yours, now Peter's going to go on to address several key practices in leading our wives. Okay? So basically, he's just made, he's just made that point very clear. Look, everybody's got to submit. Men, you got to submit to God. He's made you the leader over your wife. But you got to do so submitted to God, understanding that you ain't King Farouk. That the universe doesn't revolve around you, but that you have a God-given responsibility to lead. And so, so Peter makes that, hey, likewise, husbands, lead likewise, right? As the head of the marriage covenant. And now he says, and here's how you lead. And so he says here, dwell with them with understanding. Drop that down. The, my next three points are all about how do you operate as a husband? How do you operate as a leader on this Mother's Day? See, because the thing is, and, and this is what got me here. This is why I thought, well, what you know, do, am I going to do something special for Mother's Day? Yes, I am. And what is it going to be? Well, it's going to be First Peter three seven. Okay, why? Well, because the 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 deal is, a lot of guys uh, are are derelict in their duty and are not leading as they should, and what happens here is that Mother's Day comes along, and so one day a year, maybe, some of us blow even that, but you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, we, 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 on Sunday morning, you know, we're, we're running down, like, oh, I got to get the, to the grocery store real quick, maybe I'm going to grab some, some flowers in a cart you know, or whatever it is, and, and so on one day, we go, okay, well, you know what, today's the day that I'm going to pay special attention to my wife, and what you're going to notice here is that the things Peter's talking about, they're every day, every day should be Mother's Day in your marriage, now, by the way, let me say this too, I, I, I realize probably 98% of our people are married, Okay? Maybe, you know, 95% of the gals here are, are moms. For those of you that aren't, can I just simply say this is so critically important for you to, to really take heed to for several reasons. Not the least of which is that those of you who are single, you're, you, you want to get married someday. So ladies, these, you want to be able to look for a man who's doing the things I'm going to talk about. So make that, make your list, okay? And you men, you single men, and I'm looking right here primarily at our singles group. <laughs> for, for you single men, you want to make sure that you're taking notes. That you go, okay, this is, this is who I'm going to be, okay? Because let me tell you, a, 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 a godly woman is not looking for an Xbox champion, all right? This is important stuff for everybody, okay? And so, so this is important that we know that, that we have this down, that we're, like, focusing on this. We want to make sure, okay. So Peter's moving, and he's talking about, all right, look, you got to be the head. And if you're going to be the head, here's the things you're going to tune into, okay? Here's how, here's how you're going to operate. And, and so he says, dwell with them with understanding. Now, the idea is that you're going to share your life together, that you're going to share your life together. This speaks of a unity. This speaks of a, of a oneness. Here's the idea. The idea is that you're to live as true companions. You and, and your spouse. Okay? I'll illustrate it this way. Before, before I was married, I had a roommate, a roommate. His name was Greg. Cool guy. We got along great. We lived in a two bedroom apartment and, you know, we got our mail at the same address. Uh, we shared, the same refrigerator. We had one bathroom in the apartment that we had to share. Uh, you know, sometimes we would hang out together. A lot of times we wouldn't. We each had our own cars. We each paid our own bills. Y- you see where I'm going with this, right? Great guy. We were cool. We lived together. But, you know, he basically he did his thing and I did my thing, all right? And, uh, you know, we, I had a different set of friends. He had a different set of friends. When it came time to pay the rent, it was like, hey, dude, where's your your half of the rent kind of deal, and and this was our relationship. And then I met Brenda, and uh, we got married, and I moved her into the apartment and kicked Greg out, right? (laughs) Which was kind of jacked up because it was his apartment before we got married. (laughs) (laughs) But now I'm sharing the apartment with someone else, now, if the relationship continued like my relationship with Greg, there'd be a problem, wouldn't there? Why? Because there's not a unity. There's not a oneness. There's not a closeness. There's not a connectivity. And you know what? Some marriages today operate like my relationship with Greg. It's like, you know what? We each keep our own checkbook, and we each, you know, just do our own thing, and, you know, we're just, we just sort of occupy the same space. But, but there's really, there, 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 there's not... There's not a deeper connection there, you know? And and the idea is that when I brought Brenda into my home as my wife, well, now we're sharing our entire life, okay? And and this is, dwell with them with understanding. The idea is you're going to invest in the relationship. You're going to give the relationship priority. You're going to talk about your hopes and your dreams. And would you notice that Peter says we're to do that with understanding, Again, you might want to circle that word understanding nearby. Uh, you could write intimate knowledge. That's the idea. It's the Greek word ginosko. It speaks of an intimate knowledge. It, it, it literally means seeking to know, making an inquiry, making an investigation. Okay? This is the intimate knowledge. Now, this means a couple of different things. And here's what it means primarily. Okay? dwelling with one one another with understanding, primarily what it means is that you understand the Scriptures. That's primarily what this means. So when you dwell with your wife with understanding, it means that you have a a working knowledge of the Word of God. Why is that important? Because you're the head. You're the leader. And the Bible says you're supposed to be the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Not just you're supposed to be. The Bible says you are the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now, that's the primary re- meaning. I'm going to come right back to that. The secondary meaning I- in terms of dwelling with your wife with understanding, not just that you understand the Scriptures, but that you understand her. That, that, that you, you, you know the ABCs of how your wife ticks, Right? You know what her her needs are, what her wants are, what her fears are. And can I tell you, and this marries the first point with the second point, knowing that that you know the word of God in an intimate way and that you know your wife in an intimate way, what you need to understand is that one of your wife's greatest fears, one of your wife's greatest struggles is submitting to your sorry butt. Okay? Seriously. It really, truly is. Why? Because... She has to give herself to you and follow your lead and you could drive right into a ditch. You could drive your family right off a cliff. And so you, your wife has a difficult thing. Now, and that's part of the curse that she, she deals with is that she, she wants, every woman is an enigma wrapped in a riddle because they, they, want, they want to have somebody that they can trust themselves to. They want to have somebody who will lead them, but the sinful part of them wants to tell them how to lead them. And this is where the sinful struggle comes into play. And so the thing is, is dwelling with your wife with understanding means that you've got to understand that having to submit to you is a really scary thing. And I would illustrate it this way. What if you had to submit to somebody who was just like you? Yeah, it got pretty quiet in here all of a sudden. So so men, you need to understand that it's hard for your wife to submit. And and, and conversely, here's the deal. If, If as we go through these practical things that Peter is going to talk to us about, if you will lead in the way that we're going to talk about for the remainder of our time together this morning, your wife would love to submit to you. She would willingly submit to you. And what you would see is you would see gosh, it's it's incredible. I just cherish my wife and I seek to know her intimately and and know how she ticks and I'm going to operate operationally from a place that says I'm going to do whatever I do that's in her best interest. Hey, the added benefit is she's going to do what's in your interest and you are going to have heaven on earth in your marriage. Now, I say that as a man who's been married for 30 years and I've tried it both ways. I've tried it both ways. And can I just tell you that if you are disciplined to say, Lord, give me your spirit, help me know you in, a, in an operational way, in an intimate way, and help me to live this out, then, it, then what happens now is you equip your wife and you know her and how she ticks and you know that one of her biggest struggles is submitting to you, is trusting you, and she's dealing with a lot of fear. Ladies, I won't ask for a show of hands, but you know that I'm right. One of the one of the one of the constant companions of women is fear. Guys, don't get that. And so what, what you need to understand is that, man, I need to be able to take care of my wife. And if I spent time just understanding how is it that she operates, how does, how does she tick, what is, what is it that I can do to be able to, to, to minister uh, to her and to, to really know her? Well, man, and, and if your wife knows that you're taking your marketing orders from God, it changed change the whole dynamic of your, message, uh, of your marriage, and so, so the idea is not only do you investigate and study the Word, but you also investigate and study your wife, just to really know her. Brenda and I had been married like 20 years. So well, I was running down to In-N-Out one day, and I'm like, you know, going to get her something. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, you just, you just want a cheeseburger meal, right? She's like, we've been married 20 years? I hate cheese. <laughs> oh, hamburgers. I got it. It took me 20 years to figure that out. Now, that's a, that's a stupid example but it's important. It's, some gal uh, posted a while back on Facebook. She said, it's sweet when someone knows every single detail about you, not because you have to constantly remind them, but because they pay attention. Guys, pay attention. <clears throat> now, you need to help her to submit to you. And by, do, by doing that, you've got to be somebody that she can respect. Turn to to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. Just over to the left a little bit. We'll pick it up in verse 25. We're going to skip over the whole wives submit section. Because we're talking about the husband today. (laughs) Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 25. Husbands love... Your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The word is agape. It means unconditionally. And, and it's, it's you know, redundant to even point that out because the qualifier is you love your wives like Jesus loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? The church was spitting in his face, ripped his beard out, nailed him to a cross, mocked him while he was dying. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So so you need to love your wives in in this unconditional way, not quid pro quo, not because your wife deserves it or doesn't deserve it, but because this is what you do as the covenant head. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That word sanctify, it means set apart for sacred use. Set apart for sacred use. This is the, 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 the context of what we're reading here is, look, you're supposed to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And here's how Christ loved the church, that Jesus set his church us uh, apart for his sacred use. But the implication is that we as husband are supposed to sanctify our wives, that we set our wives apart for a sacred use. Which means, guys, you don't tell your wives, hey, you know what, let's, let's watch some porn so, you know, we can spice up our love life. That is not sanctifying your wife for sacred use. And so, so, the Lord says, look, that Jesus set the church apart that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, he says, verse 28. Just like Jesus loved the church, that's the way husbands ought to love their wives. Sanctifying her, setting her apart. You're not sanctifying her by saying, hey, you know what? Let's just blow church off this weekend and go riding motorcycles in the desert. You're like, come on, it's one weekend, lighten up. I'm not going to be legalistic about it, but here's what I'm going to be. I'm going to say, listen, men, you need to sanctify your wives. You need to work on, on helping her to be holy and without blemish. And Jesus says that, that husbands ought... Or Paul, it's Jesus is the word, so it's Jesus. But Paul says, Husbands ought to love their, their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You're doing yourself a favor by loving your wife in this way. He says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Here's the translation of that verse. You ain't got no problems taking care of yourself. When you, when you want a pizza... By golly, you're going to get yourself a pizza. When you're hungry, when you're thirsty, whatever it is, unless... No, I won't say it. Anyway, so, um, so, you, so, so you, you know, you, you got no problem making sure that you're nourished and that your flesh is cherished. He says, you've got to think of your wife that way, for we're members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, verse 33, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husbands. Now ladies, just so you know, for men, respect is love. They are synonymous terms for a man. If your husband does not have your respect and does not feel like he has your respect, he doesn't feel loved. And, and, and that is just the ABCs of men. So, men, if you want your wife to respect you, then live and function in a respectable way. If you work on caring for your wife and on, on making it your job to know your wife intimately and personally, and to know how she ticks, and to operate from a covenantial head position that says, covenant keeping to the other's best interest. That's what said means. I'm going to, I'm going to, I am going to take the initiative to make sure that this covenant... And the terms of this covenant are kept for her best interest, not for mine. What will happen is your wife will respect you and you'll have that. And so Peter says, back, back in 1 Peter, he says, dwell with them with understanding. And notice what he, says, what he says next, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Give honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Now that does not mean that you're strong. Men, If something's weaker, what does that say about both things? They're both weak. One is weak, the other is weaker. Okay? So you're weak, but you're, you're called to give honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Now, very practical part, right? Let's just go through, how do you give honor to your wife as the weaker vessel? Well, first of all, you need to be sensitive physically. Physically, you you, you, you got to be sensitive to your wife. What does this mean? Basic chivalry, guys. Basic chivalry. That, that means if it needs carrying, you're carrying it. Right? If, if it needs opening, you will open it. If it needs killing, you kill it. Right? We lived on a creek and we would get rats all the time. Brenda says at one and we hear the thing snap and I go out there and there's this big old dead rat. She's like, I am so glad you're the guy. We laugh, but some of you guys, your wife is like, can you set a rat trap? Can you set a rat trap? Can you set a rat trap? And guess who sets the rat trap? And it may not be the rat trap. And, and, and again, um, and, and I'm sorry, guys, if, I, if I'm being maybe a little hard on you, but sometimes we need that. You know? And if you're squirming in your chair right now and you're like, right, that hit home, that hit home, that hit home. Can I just tell you, look, I love you. I do. You are saved by the grace of God. He loves you. He saved you. You're not going to earn a right standing with God. I just want to help you be a better husband. I want to I want to help you and your marriage to thrive and I want Mother's Day to be every day for you. And so basic chivalry, physical aspect. Man, you're going to you're going to you're going to take care of what can I do? You know, you know, has your wife been just begging you to fix something around the house for like the last three months? Can you please fix this? Can you please fix this? Can you please fix this? Well, fix the darn thing, for crying out loud, because you feed and nourish your own flesh. I'll guarantee you, if that thing was broken and it was interfering with you watching the game, it would get fixed before the game came on, Right? So so, we're we're talking about that. Hey, giving honor to the weaker vessel. It also means that you honor her, not just physically. Here's here's a a section we can talk about. How about you honor her verbally? You honor her verbally. Honor honor her in what you say to her. Honor her in what you say about her. How do you talk about your wife? Honor her in, in what you don't say. Sometimes, you know, just bite that tongue, man. Enjoy the taste of blood, but just bite that thing, right? Um, honor her to your children. I, 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 this is, I mean, we could talk about, you know, the honoring verbally ad nauseum. One of the things that I have seen in, in my 50 years of life, I, I see sometimes a kid just saying stuff to his mom, that if I would have said as a kid, I would not be here today. My dad would be in the prison ministry. He would have killed me with his bare hands. In my home, the only thing you could do worse than talk back to my father was talk back to my mom and have my dad hear it. You just will, you, you, the next month would be, you'd be in a coma, you know. And some men just stand idly by and let their kids say the, the most horrible things to, the, to their mom. And so, so, hey, listen, you honor your wife to your children. You know, if your kids say one word that is disrespectful to, to your wife, and that was what my father would tell me. That's my wife you're talking to. You know, and, and man, that is so critically important. So it means you honor her physically. It means you honor her verbally when you're when you're giving honor to the weaker vessel. It means you honor her emotionally. When, it, when he says giving, he says they're uh giving honor to the wife. That word wife in the Greek it, it literally means f- the feminine one. The feminine one. And listen, guys, your wife is not a dude. Okay? She's a feminine one. She thinks different than you. She operates different than you. Guys, we, 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 we operate completely differently. And I, I can have a best friend that our relationship is brilliant. And if I treat my wife in the same way, there is not that emotional connection. And, and so you, you, your wife, listen, she needs intimacy, okay, and intimacy is not spelled S-E-X. It's spelled into me see. There you go. Intimacy. Into me see. Ladies, back me up on this. I- am I right? Am I on the right track here, ladies? Okay. Your wife wants you to see into her. And so, so the idea is an emotional connection. The, the, the idea is that she wants you to know her she wants to know you. She wants you to open up. She wants you to listen. And what this means is you're going to have times, and especially like my wife. If you're married to a gal like my wife, for her, it's all about quality time, man. I mean, there, there are different love languages that people speak. For my wife, quali- there's one. It's quality time. Everything else pales in comparison. So that means no television, no phone, no Facebook. That means, you know, we're we're having FaceTime, you know? And and so, so this is the idea is that you know we need to be able to go, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, pay honor to the to the weaker vessel. In the sense that, look, my wife is not me, and she functions different than me, and that means sitting on the couch with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, and and having long conversations about things that that, in all honesty, on the surface I could care less. Let's just be honest. I could some of the stuff we talk about. I'm like, do I do I have any interest in this? Do I really have? It? Do I do I really care? I tell you guys the truth, okay? <laughs> tell my wife the truth. So, 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 you know, but here's why I do care, because it matters to her. And the thing is, is that if I will listen and I'll, and I'll, li- and I'll pay attention and I'll begin to care, something happened this week. Um, it kind of fits, and I don't have time to tell the story, but I'll tell it anyway. So, <laughs> our, brother, our brother Lee passed away last Sunday. And we did his memorial on Thursday. It was fast, and I and I, I was putting together his memorial, meeting with Sherry and meeting with his boy Jacory, and going through everything, and just hearing everybody talk about Lee, and and you know Lee was invited to be one of our deacons. I mean I I I I knew the guy, but I didn't know him like I knew him after I put his memorial together, and I came away from the experience going. God, I wish I would have known him better. I wish we would have spent more time. And my wife pointed out, she says, you know, I've heard you say that before. And, and you know, you need to be able to take maybe the, that extra minute and to be able to, to connect with people, you know, because so often it's like we just get caught up in the busyness of life. And, um, and how tragic if that's happening in our marriages. You know, and so we really need to connect emotionally. Paying honor to the weaker vessel also means financially. You know, the curse basically says that you know, uh, for the men, you got to work hard. It's by sweat that that you know the you know thorns and thistles the ground's going to produce for you. You're going to work the ground, and it's going to produce thorns and thistles. And by the sweat of your brow, you're going to make your living. And what happens then is a lot of times we try to put our, our curse on our wives. And and so don't put your curse on her. Um, if your wife works and you guys choose for her to work and she wants a career and that's what works for your family, praise God. But you know, uh, Titus 2 says that women should be homeward in orientation and that's not, I'm not, I'm not saying barefoot and pregnant. I'm just simply saying that some guys go... We can't afford for you to stay home. And really, the gal wants to stay home, be a wife and a mom. And I would say, you know what? You have to take the initiative as a leader in your home to be able to do whatever it takes to, to, you know, be able to um, provide for your family. Even if that means, okay, I'm going to lead and we're going to live in a different financial, you know, reality. We're going to make some sacrifices financially. Again, I don't have time to talk about this, so I'll just simply say this. What I, what I wish, I wish I knew at, uh, when I was 20, I wish I knew what I know now at 50. Because what happened is, I, I tried so hard to please my wife that a lot of times, I just let her get into the driver's seat. Because I wanted to make her happy. And I wish, what she most needed was for me, sometimes to lovingly say, sweetheart, we can't afford that. And I'm going to lead. And this is, this is what's going to happen. And so, we can't afford that because I want what's best for you. And, and, and so, you know, my advice to 20 year olds is uh, be a bold leader. Not a, hey, be quiet when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you kind of leader. But a leader who, who does all the things I've been talking about and who leads. Lead practically. Give honor to the, to the weaker vessel practically. What does that mean? Well, is your house falling apart? Is she driving on bald tires? Is your life a disorganized mess? Is, is, you know, do you have a plan in, in terms of how you're going to lead your family? All of these things to think about. Do you have a budget? Do you stick to your budget? Do you have a schedule? Are you somebody who's doing these things? These are the things you've got to think through. So, some guys, man, your life's just a disorganized wreck and it's a zoo in your house, and your wife is just completely fearful because it's like, I got to be the glue that holds it all together. Listen, no wife, no mom, wants to have to be the glue that holds it all together. And so, so we, we have to think about that. Listen, one more thing on this subject. Honor your wife parentally. Honor her parentally. Listen, this means you're actively involved. Okay, this, th- this means that you're going to live out Ephesians 6, 4, which, you know, bring your children up in the Lord. You're taking an active role on that. Write this down, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I was going to have you turn there. We don't have time. But Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about how you're going to instruct your children. And it talks about as you're coming, as you're going, as you're along the way, as you're writing the word on the, the doorpost on your house and on, on, the, on your gate. When we go out into the world, I've, I, you know, God's, and it starts with God's word being in your heart and then teaching it to your children practically. And, and some people abdicate that to their wives and just say, hey, you teach the children, i got stuff to do. And all of this means you're not going to have a lot of time. Guys, yeah, is what it means. You're not going to have a lot of free time. You might have to give up some hobbies. And again, listen, the goal of life is not to stand before Jesus and brag about your golf handicap or, or about how many followers you have on Twitter or about how good you are at Halo. You know, that, that, that's not the goal of life. And so you, you need to dwell with them with understanding. You need to give honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. And finally, here's what he says, and we close with this. Giving honor to the, to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Heirs together. Here's the idea that the woman is God's daughter every bit as much as you are God's son. You are heirs together. You're a son of God, and she's a daughter of God. And what Peter is saying here is that, look, if you are not doing the things that we've talked about, if you largely, if God, in metaphorically speaking, in your life, shows up in the garden of your life and says, where are you, Adam? Where are you? Because your wife just went off the deep end here. She just went off the rails. What he says is, you know what? You're heirs together. You're God's son but that God's, that's God's daughter right there. And if you don't take care of her, when you go, you know, God's not going to listen to you. you know, God, I need this promotion. God, I need this money. God, I need you to you know, work this deal out for me. And God might say to you, yeah, you know what? I need you to take care of my little girl. And you're not doing that. The writer of Ecclesiastes says this, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and to not pay. You've made a vow, men. You've taken a wife. you made a vow to God. So I want to challenge you on this Mother's Day. Make it amazing. Make it awesome. But can you make tomorrow Mother's Day? Can you make next week Mother's Day? Can you put feet on these things? And ladies, listen. If your husband, if you were, you know, I hate to put it in these terms. If you're doing a one to ten scale and he got a negative two, on this little jaunt, would you pray for him and be gracious to him? Would you ask the Lord to help him? He, by the way, he heard today. Okay, he heard.